All right, so we're going to continue our series called Nay Bored. By the way, I love the idea that we're all so bored these days. We have more choice than ever, but we're completely bored. It's so boring. <laughs> Nothing to do. You know, and, um, and so, and, and this is the fourth week in the series of six weeks, and so I hope you've been joining with us, and I hope you'll stick around for the rest of it, because it's really going to kind of turn the corner here after today, and how we engage other people in our lives, how we're really not just passing, you know, ships in the night, but we're actively listening. We prayed, we talked about having eyes to see and ears to hear what God's doing around us, okay? And then last we talked about waiting for God, that sometimes this idea of doing anything is better than doing nothing isn't true, but waiting for God, the sovereign God of the universe, to tell us what to do is what we're, what we're supposed to be doing. And so, and so um, we're going to continue this week. But I'm going to ask you, if you would, if you brought a Bible today, open it up. And if you didn't, grab one of ours. We're going to read from the beginning of that same gospel that I read from earlier. I read the end of that gospel where um, Mary went to the tomb and found the stone rolled away. And it's Mark 2, 1 through 12. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, they are in the chairs and the rows at the ends. So go ahead and grab one of those and open it up. If nothing else, it makes you look like you're participating. Okay? So, I mean, you're, on, you're in church. It's Easter. You know, if you open up, nobody's going to know if you're even reading it or not. Okay? You could just pretend. All right. So you can do that. I, I, w- I want to share the story with you. It's going to be uh, verses 1 through 12. Here's what the gospel says. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. That means four men were carrying a paralytic. Since they could not get to him, get him to Jesus, because the crowds were in the way, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus after digging through it and lowered the mat that the paralyzed man was laying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there and thought to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But that you might know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And he looked at the paralytic and said, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. The man stood up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of everyone. This amazed everyone, and they all praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Please join me in praying. Father, we believe that your word, that the scriptures are not just another book, but it's your holy word written to your people. But we believe even more that it's your spirit-inspired word. We ask right now that you would give us a spirit to understand it, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that you would give us a mind open to the truth of the gospel, and more importantly, Father, that you give us a heart willing to receive it, that in this time we could be laid bare before the one who knows our thoughts and our hearts, and that we could let 
him work your will in our lives. We ask these prayers in the mighty and powerful name of the one who was raised. Amen. So today I wanted to talk about this because, like I said, we're on this, this fourth week of the series, and it amazes me, the story we have from the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. This happens early in the ministry of Jesus. It actually says that he came back home, and they were all excited because he was back. You see, the stuff that Jesus was doing was legendary. If you had happened to be around for one of his early sermons where it was just a few miscreants, you know, a few fishermen and, and some, some people who were kind of cast out, and there were these, you were starting to hear what was happening. But when Jesus came back home, well, people were downright excited about it. They, they were crowding in around the Messiah. They were longing for every word they were longing for every touch, every glance, every encounter. And I'm only amazed by this story because we heard the end of the story. We heard how Jesus walks from the tomb. The Gospel of Mark wasn't written to tell us about the amazing stuff he did in Capernaum. The Gospel of Mark was written to tell us about the amazing stuff that Jesus did when he walked out of the tomb and ascended to the Father in heaven and ascended at the right, sitting at the right hand and sent his Holy Spirit to be with us. This is why the Gospels were written, for you and I. And so whenever I see this story so early, I go, wow, look at how excited they were about Jesus. Look at how many people were coming to meet Jesus. Look at how many people would bring their worst problems. I want you to see what's happening here in Capernaum. The place is crowded. You've got a few of these kind of Pharisees and stuff that are kind of sitting back and examining Jesus. But I bet for the most part that people who are crowding around Jesus are people who are desperate for him. Waiting for a word or a touch or a look, a hope a way forward. I guess I have to confess to you, the reason that I get so excited is because when I read that, I'm like, wow, that's awesome. And then I look at us, the believers in Jesus Christ, those who have been embodied, have, have the spirit of God living in them, and we're kind of like, oh, do I have to go to church today? Do I have to go? Do I have to study the Bible? Or do I say my prayers? Can I say my prayer for dinner really fast this time? You know what I mean? I'm kind of being a little, but I mean, it's true, right? It's a drag, isn't it? We're like, oh. So today, I, I want to talk about something that we find in Scripture as well. And that's this idea that the passion, the 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 the, the passion, the desire, the burning in our souls to be closer to Jesus comes from one thing. It comes from one thing. And, and, and my mind is this, that we have to know Jesus. And so today I want to talk about what would life look like if we really knew Jesus? And don't think I'm talking about you. I'm talking about us. I mean, how would our lives look differently if we really knew Jesus? Right? 
I know some of you guys, if you've been around, you know, you're like, well, I know Jesus. I know, I know he was born of a virgin and that kind of stuff, and he lived and he walked on water and stuff, and, and we, you know, put him on a cross and he died and stuff, and then he was there and he was raised and stuff, and, and, but that's how we talk about it. Like, it's so, you know, passe. It's so, like, boring to us. There's a scripture that gets me excited about knowing Jesus, and maybe not in the way that you think. This comes from the gospel of Matthew, and I want to share it with you here. Matthew 7. This is one of those verses that I don't care how long you've been a follower of Jesus or how well you think you know him. This is one of those verses you just go, what? What? Because this is Jesus, and he's speaking in in the gospel of Matthew, and this is what he says. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. (laughs) That's not the secret password. Oh, I gotta go back. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Right? So Jesus is teaching us here. Notice what he says. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, listen to what it says. Did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Once you remember what's happening in Capernaum. And this is what he's gonna respond. Then I will tell them plainly, Jesus says, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Evildoers. Jesus said this stuff to his followers. And I go, what? So what does this mean, Jesus, if, if, if it's not prophesying in your name and if it's not driving out demons and if it's, if it's not doing many miracles, you know, because the Spirit of God lives in us, right? And he lived in Jesus and, and Jesus could do these things and the crowds came because of the miracles. So why can't we have a miracle today? Why can't we have something that would just give us that, that would show us that? And Jesus' response is this. I never knew you. I never knew you. See, I told you earlier, there's going to be coming a day that's going to be a day without excuse, you know? There's going to be coming a day where we're going to be standing before God. I will say naked before God. I don't mean physically naked. I'm sure we'll be physically naked too, right? But, but I mean laid bare. I mean, there's going to be nothing else. There's going to be no, there's going to be no do-over, no, no second chance, no, oh, I hope this is going to go well, you know, getting called into the boss's office. This is going to be, you're standing there with your sin, you're going to know it. And the only hope is that Jesus says in that moment, I know you. I've always known you. You're one of those that my father gave to me. You're one of those that was redeemed on Calvary. See, I think if we knew Jesus in that way, if we knew him, there are some things about our lives that would change. Mine too. Some things about our lives that would really, really be different. And not for the sake of impressing others or anything else, but really, really different. If we really knew the one who was raised on Easter, if we knew the one that spoke life or spoke stars, here's the first thing that we see 
And I love it, because it's from an ordinary crowd at the beginning of the ministry. They didn't know about the resurrection or anything, folks. They, they have very little knowledge, except that Jesus was doing some really cool stuff. And the first thing that we see in today's reading from the Gospel of Mark is that if you and I really knew Jesus, we'd be desperate to be with him. We'd be desperate to be with him. It wouldn't be, man, do I have to go again? Oh, what a drag. Man, I, you know, I, I want to go because my wife wants me to go. I mean, if we knew Jesus in this way, I'm talking to everybody today. If we knew him in this way, we, you wouldn't be able to keep us away with a stick. You know what I mean? We could stand there at the door and hit people, and you would make a run for it. You know what I mean? Because you're going to get in. And I'm not saying Jesus is only in here, but Jesus is in here as sure as he's out there. So let's don't act like he ain't in the church. He's here. He's out there. But if you and I were, were, were really knowing Jesus, knowing him, we would do, we'd be desperate, desperate to get to him. And in this gospel in Mark, we find these people that are so jammed up around this building that Jesus is in that nobody can even get through anymore. I wonder if there were seats available in the front row. But there are too many people in the door to get to them. They don't want to get that close to Jesus. He might make a sermon illustration out of me. There was no room anymore around this building where Jesus was. There's no secret about what he was doing. There's a story told in the Gospels where when Jesus was going down the road, the crowds were pressing against him so tightly that no one could even get near him when he was walking I mean, he was just in like, not even in a room, and people were pressing against him. And the story is told about one woman who's in the back of the crowd, and she's trying to get his attention, and it's not working. And she thinks to herself, maybe if I just take a risk, maybe if I just reach out and touch the edge of his coat, maybe just the very fringes of his jacket, I'll be healed. And in a desperate attempt, mashing against the crowd, she reaches in, and she touches him, and she's instantly healed. Then the story goes that Jesus stopped and the entourage stopped and he says, who touched me? And Peter says this to Jesus, are you serious? Who doesn't touch you? I can't even breathe here. There's, Jesus says, are you serious? Everyone's, there's so many people crowded in here. Who knows who touched you? And Jesus says this, Someone touched me, and I know it because I felt the power go out of me. He felt this connection to this woman, this woman in the crowd who was so desperate for Jesus that she would just dive in and grab hold of just the edges of his coat. See, that kind of desperation you don't see much in church. You just don't see a lot of it. You see a lot of ho-hum as Jesus. Oh, hum the gospel. I hope it's not an embarrassment to me. But not a crying out for God's mercy. Not a longing for his healing. Not a desperate attempt to receive a blessing. Later on in the gospel of John, there's a story recorded about the disciples who start just to flood away from Jesus and check out and walk away. They're just, they've had enough. And I'll tell you where it comes. It comes after Jesus teaches the disciples that you and I must be one, he says to us. He says, you and I must be one flesh. He says, if you want to be saved, you're going to have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. That's the words that Jesus used. 
And they were offensive. And a lot of people were following Jesus said, man, that's crazy. You know, I, could, I was down with the healing stuff. I was down with some of the mystery of God, kingdom of God stuff. I was down with the eyes and the ears stuff. I was down with some of this. I was down with even not hanging out in the synagogues all the time. But listen, if you're going to tell me I got to do some cannibalism stuff, I'm out. And they walked away. They walked away from the Savior of the universe because his teaching was too hard. That just amazes me. I tell the story not because they walked away, but because Jesus in that moment turns to his disciples, to Peter and to the others, and he says, are you going to leave me too? And Peter's response blows me away because Peter's a mess. But Peter says, Lord, where else would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. See, Peter, as big of a mess as he is, he knows in that moment there's nothing else but Jesus. And no matter how much, you know, Jesus says, are you going to do this? You're like, yeah, I'll do it, Jesus. Because where else am I going to get it? If we knew Jesus and his resurrection and the power that he has for us in our lives and the purpose he has for us in our lives, we would be desperate for him. I'm not talking desperate as a non-believer, by the way. I'm talking desperate as believers in Jesus, believers in the resurrection. You and I would long for prayer time. We would long for time in his word. We would long to be with believers who would edify us and encourage us. We would lean forward in our seats when someone's speaking about the things of the kingdom of God and not walk away from that awkward conversation in the office. So I'm wondering today, how desperate are you to know him? I mean, are you willing to sit and listen for a while? Are you willing to get together with a small group of believers who are opening the word and they all go, I'm not qualified? And then they just read what the word of God has to say and they listen to the spirit together and they start to talk about real life and how it works. Are you desperate enough to take a chance like that? Are you desperate enough to keep showing up to things that seem so broken, like, like church gatherings, and you just go, man, this isn't right, this is a mess, you know? Are you desperate to know him? So the second, that, that's the first, because I mean, you, you've got to have the relationship. There's nothing that we can do about with Jesus. You can't do anything with Jesus until you know Jesus. That's just the way this works. The second thing is if, if we really knew Jesus, we would long for our neighbors to meet him. Now, I want to tell you something about the word neighbor here, because I know some of you are thinking, oh, you know, this is what we're talking about the whole time is their neighbors. It's true. But I don't mean our neighbors like the person with the house next to you, although they count. You can't love the whole world and not love your neighbor. I'm not sure how that really works. You know, because even if you're just passing in the driveway, you're passing them, okay? But neighbor is the idea of people who are near to us, who we encounter on a daily basis, our weekly basis, or a month. This is our family. This is our friends. This is our coworkers. This is, this is the, the stranger that we walk past at the rec center. This is the guy, you know, that's acting weird in the Walmart in the frozen food section. You know that guy. Have you seen that guy? I'm just kidding. That's me. <laughs> so... The neighbors are people that we have right around us that God puts in our path. And if you and I knew Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the universe, the one who was raised on the third day, we could not be so passive about others knowing him. And, and, and this is, again, this isn't me talking to you. It's me listening with you to what the word of God says. 
We've been talking for the last few weeks about God giving us eyes to see. And one of the greatest conversations that I've had, and I've had with multiple people in this church, by the way, is people come up and saying, what do we do with all this stuff? Because since I've been asking God to let me see, he's let me see. And now I'm kind of freaking out because there's a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Praise God. You know, what do we do with it? Well, let's, we're going to walk through that together. We're going to figure that out together. But praise God, he's given us eyes to see and ears to hear the needs that are right around us, the neighbors that he's put into our past. The story today, I think, makes it obvious. So here comes the guys with their, the other guy, they didn't even say friend, does it, on the, on the mat, the paralytic. The guy can't help himself. He can't get there from here. This scripture blows me away because, and I've said it to you before, but it blows me away because if you look at the way it goes down, these four men do this work, lower him in, and this is what the word says. You can look at it yourself if you don't believe me. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he forgave his, his sins. This is the response of Jesus to the faith of these four men. The, these guys, when they showed up with the mat and they brought him to Capernaum to meet this Messiah who is healing, this Jesus, this, this man of God, this teacher, this rabbi, and when they showed up and there was no more room, they didn't just go, oh, well, I tried, you know. I'll leave you late here. Maybe when you walk out, he'll come by, maybe, you know. These guys got on the roof and they dug through it with their hands. They tore a hole big enough to lower a mat through. I can't imagine what this circus looked like. You know what I mean? I mean, this is like, you know, you got some Pharisees and guys sitting in the front. This is, you know, teaching to try to be formal about this occasion. And here comes the skylight. You know what I mean? And just, they lower this guy in who's broken and, and, and messed up and, and just doesn't have wholeness, just doesn't have this, this, it's not the picture of what God wants, but I want you to see what Jesus sees. Because when he looks at this person, he doesn't see a person who is physically handicapped. He sees someone who's spiritually dead. And this is us. And we're the people. That someone cared enough that they longed for us to come to know Jesus. And if you believe in Jesus today, I would be willing to bet that there have been folks who knew Jesus who longed for you to know him. And maybe you never met him Maybe it was somebody who did something in a very distant way for some ministry that touched you or some pastor that shared with you or some friend that came to your house and took a risk because they had heard a sermon on the radio or something. But there's been some connection where someone has longed for you to come to know Jesus as Savior. And they've lowered you before him. And he's looked at you and said, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. I'm convinced if we knew Jesus, if we knew him, we would be in line with mats full of people. I mean, just waiting, just looking for the, the next way to get up on the roof, to dig another hole, looking for some other way to, to get into the middle of the crowd, to, to get them closer to him, longing for them to come to know him. Here's the reason and we talk, this is, that, this is one of those parallel, this is one of those tension things. Because we long to do good in the world, but the truth is that all the good we do, if we don't teach people to come to know Jesus, if we don't share the gospel of the forgiveness of sins that we have, we've just made them really healthy, hell-bound people. And that's completely flawed. 
And so when it comes to thinking about how we can love our neighbors, how we can love our neighbors as ourselves, as believers in Jesus, the first and foremost thing we can do is, I'd say the first, the last, the best, and the only solution that we can bring to them is Jesus and his salvation. I mean, that's what we bring. And we're not going to save them, but we're just going to come and testify. We're going to come and, and, and you know, have compassion. Remember, we talked about that being moved in our guts, right? It's blah. You remember that? We're going to come and we're going to just be sick about it. But then we're going to say that there's this Savior named Jesus Christ. And he loved you so much that he would do anything to save you. And he did. And I've been saved. And you will be saved. And we would long for them to know him. Jesus is our first aid to people. He's I can't say that enough. He's the first, the last, the best thing. The, the person, I mean, that we're offering, the relationship that we're offering. Because if we do a whole bunch of other good stuff and we don't, people don't walk away from us, knowing Jesus, we've failed as the church. That's what we're called to do. We would long for our neighbors to know him. And the third thing I'll share with you, I'm gonna, this will be our kind of final thought for today, but... If we really knew Jesus, we would know that God did everything to save us. He did everything to save us. In this story at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, we have this, this narrative about the healings, and we can even read so many of those. We're like, ah, you know, ordinary. He's just healing people again. That's what Jesus does. But in this moment, I've already shared, he looked and he saw the faith of these four men, and he looked down and he said, son, your sins are forgiven, and this rankled some feathers in the crowd. Because they understood that it was a big deal to forgive sins. You can't just walk around wishy-washy forgiven sins. That's what they say, right? And in this moment, Jesus does a miracle. But I want you to see that the miracle he did had purpose. He said these words, but so that you might know that the Son of Man can forgive sins on earth, right? He looked at the crowd. And he said, but this, so that you might know the Son of Man can forgive sins. And he looked at the paralytic and he said, take your mat, stand up, and go home. And the man stood up, took his mat, and went home. And all of them saw. Today we come here celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we hear the story of Mary who runs to the tomb or, or walks to the tomb to, to do kind of some mourning and some spices and things like that. And when she gets there, her first thought is someone has stolen him. And then the angel says, he's not here. He's raised. He's raised. You know, he's risen. And, and she goes away afraid. And in the same way, the miracle of the resurrection is a testimony against us who would not believe the cross is sufficient, who would not believe that, that Jesus' death is sufficient. They would not believe that his healings were sufficient. They would not believe that his testimony of the, of the saints was sufficient, that the spirit that testifies within us was insufficient. The, the, the resurrection of Jesus overcomes all of those barriers and says, Jesus walked away from it. He just walked, walked out of the grave. There's a story of a rich man and Lazarus. Jesus tells a story earlier in his ministry. And he says that the rich man and Lazarus are, 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 uh, have, have died. 
And the rich man is in hell, and the Lazarus is in heaven. And Lazarus has a guy who was like all afflicted during his life. He had no comfort. He said the dogs would lick his wounds. That's how sick he was. And he was treated worse than dogs in his life. And it says that whenever, whenever they, were, they were dead, the man is crying out. He can see Lazarus resting in Abraham's bosom. That's what it says, kind of laying in his chest, being comforted and loved and cared for. And the rich man says, you know, send me back. And I want you to hear this scripture because it's really interesting what, what uh, the word records. If you want to look it up later, you can look it up. It's in Luke 16, 19 through 31. But this is what Jesus says. It's, it's just amazing. He says, I mean, Jesus is telling the story, but in the story, when he says, you know, send me back, Abraham, send me back, says this, they would not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. There will be people that will say, ah, that was just resurrection, though. <laughs> Anybody can do that. Isn't that ridiculous? And Jesus says this, that there will be those who would scoff at even that, that God has done everything to save us. And every step along the way, we go, eh, but we make some reason that's not good enough. So I have a question. What is it in your life? And I'm going to ask a very personal question. Do you know Jesus? And if not, I mean, if you don't know him, like know him, know him, know him like that, what is it in your life that, Jesus, that God has not done to reveal himself to you? What is that thing in your mind that you go, yeah, but if I saw this, I would believe. If I had that, I would believe. What is the thing that you think that God has not yet done to save you? Because that's what Easter's about. It's about a God who would do anything and everything to save us. After the resurrection, Jesus is walking around. There's one disciple whom I love. His name is Thomas. And Thomas is missing the first time Jesus shows up with the disciples. And Jesus' final words to Thomas are this. You know the story. He shows up and Jesus says, here's my side. Here are the nail, hand, nail, nail holes in my hands, right? He, doesn't, he says, put your fingers in there. Stick your hand in my side. You know, can you imagine being that guy? I mean, you'd be backing up from Jesus. He's saying, just, just touch me. Go ahead. You don't believe it? But this is his command to Thomas, and I think it's his command to you and to me. And I'm talking to someone who's a non-believer for a long time. This is what Jesus said to Thomas. He said, I have proven myself to you. Now stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. And that's our challenge today. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, Today's the day that you say, what is it he hasn't done for me? And it's time to stop doubting and believe. Please join me in prayer. Father God, today we've come and it's, you know, it's, it's celebration. It's Easter Sunday. It's glorious. And we know you. And we know that we're known by you. And we know that we have new life in your name. 
And we know that you're doing amazing, miraculous things in our life. And Father, today maybe there's some part of us, though, that says, Dad, there's this one thing, God, that I can't get through or whatever. Today I, I pray that you would lay us bare before you, that we could indeed do what you told Thomas. We could stop doubting and believe. And that like those who saw your miracles before, we would just be desperate for you. Desperate to bring our friends to you. Longing for them to know you, Father. I'm not sure what more you could do or have done to save us. Lord, you know in my heart that was that day where it was no more excuses. That was it. It was enough. And I'm going to ask today that your spirit would convict us if that's us today. If today's a day that we've just been playing and pretending and faking it, that today would be the day that we would have a real conversation with you, the living God. And it wouldn't be about anybody else or about a show, but it would be about you and us wanting to know you. I'm going I'm to give you a chance, and I'm still praying with you, church, but I'm going to give you a chance that if, if that's you today, and if you are there, and you're not like, I'm, I don't know, I don't understand this, I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and we're just going to pray it together, and, and um, you don't have to pray it out loud, I'm not trying to embarrass you, but I, I want you to have the chance to understand this. So, Father God, we come to you today, and we confess that we are sinners, that we have fallen short. And if that's you today, you can just tell God that in your heart. You say, God, I've messed up. It's not right. I've screwed it up. And we confess to him that there's no way out of this mess for ourselves. We can't find it. That we're the guy on the mat. There's no way. And so we say, Father, we're laid before you today for your mercy and your grace. And then you can ask him to come into your life as your savior and your Lord, your sovereign. And don't believe the lie that you're giving up more than you're gaining because that's Satan talking to you. You will gain eternally more than you will lose. And so today you can just say, Jesus, I want to receive you as my savior. I want to know you like that. I want to know you on that day that when I stand before you, I don't say, Lord, Lord, and you say, who are you? But we say, Lord, Lord, and you say, this one's mine. I've known them the whole time. So, Father, make that true for us today. Jesus, be our Savior and our Lord. And the last part of this prayer, church, we're going to pray together, is that God would then embolden us with his spirit, that if we have this living relationship with Jesus Christ, it would become real for us, that it wouldn't just be some sideline thing, a distraction among the many distractions of this world, but it would become what we're about, that we'd be consumed with the love of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So you can pray that with me and you can just say that God would empower you. Say, empower me with the Holy Spirit. Show me where you'd have me to go. Give me not just the willingness to respond, but the courage to obey. And I promise if we prayed that prayer today, your life will be changed forever. If you ask the sovereign creator of the universe to save you, he will save you. 
Jesus, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for the confession of the saints that come before us. We thank you for those who had, who had brought us to you, broken on a mat, that we could be saved. Give you praise and glory today for the work you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.